Aeon. Yeah, he thinks a lot. Sometimes, you ever have those moments where you're like, I just realized my pastor's an idiot. <laughs> it's one of those moments. And so now you know what it's like to, for Heidi. But it's, uh, it's great to be with you guys. We were out, Heidi and I were out and about on a little vacation here the last couple of weeks. Thanks for letting us do that. And uh, I'm always glad to be home. I'm always homesick uh, to miss you when we're gone. We, I watch services online and things like that and hear you worshiping and see you together. And it's always fun to come home and, and be together again. So... Good to see you, uh, and welcome all of you. Welcome everybody watching online at our live sites, the Montrose Building. Thanks for being here as well. And uh, we're in the middle of a series called Here and Now. Uh, started this series a couple weeks ago. Pastor Ryan launched it off, actually, and uh, <clears throat> just talking about this idea of passing the faith on from one generation to the next. Uh, Christy Keir, our children's director, was a part of that conversation up here They did a great job, fascinating, important stuff. Uh, If you missed that, I encourage you to grab that. That's uh, on the website and on the podcast and things like that. It'll be a great investment. Uh, Last weekend, Pastor Todd, our youth pastor, spoke and talked about discipleship, that there's people in front of us and behind us and beside us, and God placed us in those relationships so that we can impact all of those people around us. And he also did a phenomenal job, and you may want to catch that as well and kind of catch up on that conversation uh, through the website or the app or the podcast also. This weekend, uh, I'm going to continue that here and now conversation, and we're going to talk about just the idea that we need to be with each other, uh, we need to gather, and we need to be in proximity to each other uh, in order to have the relationships that God would want us to have. <clears throat> Many times uh, here at Grace we've said that our relationship with Christ is absolutely personal, right? 100% personal. God loves you. God knows you. God cares for you. He wants you to cast all of your anxiety and cares upon him. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head. Like he knows the details of our lives. He is absolutely a personal God that we have a personal relationship. But our relationship with God is not private, When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that we're born into something. So when we we ask for forgiveness of our sins, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we receive our salvation. At that same moment, the Bible says that we're indwelt with or filled with the Holy Spirit. So God comes and lives within us. And also in that same moment, we are birthed or brought or called out into something called the church, the spiritual entity of the church, the the church that Jesus created, the church that Jesus empowers, the church that Jesus works through. So I individually become a part of of a whole thing. I'm an individual component of the whole, and I become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible, when describing the church, the church uses a bunch of metaphors. So the Bible will say the church is the bride of Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus. The church is the household of Jesus. The church is the family of God. The church is the flock of, of Jesus. All of these ideas in which God would look and say, now that you are my follower, it's not just you and me. You become a part of a whole thing, you're grafted into the body, the bride, the family, the household of God, or what we would kind of generically call the, 
the church, right? Now that's a big deal. It's a big deal in my relationship with God because as a part of my relationship with God, I have to be in relationship with the church. I have to be in relationship with the other individual followers of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I cannot be who God has called me to be unless I am in that relationship. Now, in our culture today, as North Americans, we're kind of hyper-independent people. And so some of that is difficult for us. There would be like a trend today that would say, you know, I can have this individual relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need organized religion. Well, the church is not organized religion, but it is sometimes organized relationships, right? So we wouldn't say, yeah, you got to go through all these rituals and do these things or you're not going to go to heaven. But we would look at God's word and say, boy, it's pretty clear that God does not look at us and say, hey, now that you guys are followers, do whatever you want. Or just know me, don't worry about knowing the people around you. In fact, there's over 50 commands in the Bible that we cannot obey if we're not in relationships with other people in the church. How do you pray with each other? How do you forgive one another? How do you bear with one another? How do you confess your sins to one another? How do you rejoice with those who rejoice? How do you mourn with those who mourn? And I could go on and on and on and on. So Christianity is a team sport. And in order to play that sport, the Bible would say we have to gather together in order to be in those relationships. Okay, now... That's what's on my heart here this weekend <clears throat> and why I uh, decided to talk to you about this. Um, I, I want to have a very kind of pastoral relation, uh, conversation with you today. And so if you know me, uh, I'm asking you to kind of trust my heart. You know that I'm kind of a blunt person, kind of look you in the eye and tell you what I actually mean kind of person. So we're going to have that kind of a conversation this weekend. If you don't know me, then I'm just asking you to trust my heart a little bit, right? Um, and, and trust that I, what I'm going to say and what I'm going to walk us through, I'm doing so because I, I love you and I want what's best for you and what God wants for you, okay? So let's, let's dive into this conversation. This is what's kind of on my heart right now. Uh, there's there's a, something that's kind of happened in our culture. It's not good or bad, it just kind of is. And what's happened in our culture is, is this that the most valuable thing we have as individuals is our time. And so for us to give our time to something or our time to each other it has become a big, big ask, right, in our, in our culture. And what that has done is that has created a trend that affects the church of Jesus Christ. So a, a survey came out about a year ago that I read and, and kind of it resonated with me. And a, a, a group called the Barna Group did the survey, and they surveyed people who would say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm pro-church. So this isn't like everybody in the country, and it's not like people who've been hurt by religion. These are people who say, yeah, I'm a committed follower of Christ, and I'm pro-church. They asked them a bunch of questions. They said, how much do you serve? And are you in a small group? How much do you attend church? Do you give financially? All those kind of questions they kind of dug at. And one of the things that came back really struck me, and it was this. When that group of people was asked the question, are you a committed follower of Jesus? Yes. Are you pro-church? Yes. How many times do you go to church a year? The average came back that the average committed household, 
not, not people questioning their faith, but the added committed household said, we go to church on average once out of every six weeks. That's the average attendance of someone who is a committed follower of Jesus Christ in our culture today. Now, at Grace Church, we, have our, we run our own numbers, right? So we have databases and things like that, so we run our own numbers. And the good news, is, uh, good news is this, is that we're a little bit better. We go to church on average about once every five weeks out of the year. And so the average committed family or household at Grace Church goes to church on average about once a month. About once a month, right? Now, 20 years ago, if I heard that stat, I would have panicked a little bit because people's absence used to mean something. If you didn't come to church, it meant that you detached or you're not doing well in like your personal life or something's going on that would cause you not to come to church on a regular basis. 20 years later, the way our culture has changed, when I hear that stat, I, I hear it and I think, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Because I actually see those same tendencies in me. Uh, there, there are organizations that I, I like and I agree with and they're run by people that I love and that I trust. I even give them my money, but I don't want to go to their meeting. I don't want to go to their meeting. One of the, one of the teenagers asked me to, to go to a fundraiser they were having to go on a trip and they said, we're going to have a spaghetti dinner and a presentation, and it's 25 bucks if you'll, if you'll come to it. And I looked at them, I was like, I said, I'll give you 100 bucks if I don't have to go to the meeting. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to the meeting. You can have my money, just don't take my time, right? I don't want to go to the meeting. And so I see that tendency in myself. When the school has a meeting, when the community has a meeting, when the homeowners association has a meeting, I don't want to go to the meeting. It doesn't mean I don't support them. It doesn't mean that I don't love the people. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in their mission. I just don't want to go to the meeting, right? Well, that tendency has, has come into the church, right? And it's come into our relationship with God. Now, here at Grace, that's true of us too. But it's fascinating because we don't have an attendance problem. Our attendance is up on average. It's up every year. We grow every year. Uh, we don't have a financial problem. Our finances are very strong and you guys and your generosity with All In, All Out, you, you shattered giving records here at Grace. Like, so we're great financially. We're great with attendance. We don't have a problem here at Grace. When I look at the, I come to church once every five weeks, or we'll just say once a month, what I see, I don't see attendance problems. I don't see financial problems. What worries me is discipleship our involvement in each other's lives, our ability to train our children, our ability to sharpen each other spiritually. I'm not worried about the numbers or the finances, I'm worried about the spiritual issues that can result when we're not around each other, right? When we gather, our interactions are different. When, when we gather together, when we worship together corporately, it's different than when we do that on our own. You can worship God in your car all day long. It's a great thing. Do it. I do it all the time, right? But it's different when I come into a, a room like we have here at Gent Road or a live site gathering where I'm gathered with other believers and I'm worshiping with them. It's different. You ever, you ever go to a concert and experience a concert 
and then later on watch that concert on video, it's not the same. It's different when we're together. Uh, when I pray with other people, it's different when we're together. That prayer time is different. It's, the relationships are different. Like texting each other, it's different than when we're in the room together. So when we gather together, it's important. It's important because when we don't gather together, we don't know each other. We might recognize each other, maybe, but we don't know each other's lives. We have trouble teaming together to train and to kind of as a community invest in our kids because they're not around. They don't have the relationships with us. It's hard for us to support each other because I don't really know what's going on in your life. Maybe six weeks ago you told me something, but six weeks later I probably don't even remember it because I haven't seen you. See, we're not around each other and we don't spur each other on or help each other grow spiritually when we're not together. Howard Hendricks, a writer, said this. He says, you can impress people at a distance, but you can only impact them up close. The closer the personal relationship, the greater the potential for impact. Now, God knows this, and he knows because he created us, and he created us to need to be around each other. And that's why in the scriptures, one of the things he did is he actually commanded us to gather. He says, I want my church, my body, my bride, my followers, I want you to gather together. He says this in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. He says, I don't want you to give up meeting together because some are in the habit of giving up meeting together and my people need to be together. It's different when we're together. It's different when we're in the room with each other. So don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing it and it affects their faith. It's fascinating what he says kind of in relation to this. This is kind of the landing point of his passage. But when you back this up to verse 22, he kind of tells us why a little bit. He says this, he says, Let, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a fur, uh, full assurance that faith brings. It kind of sets a context in place. And he says, listen, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart. Or in other words, if you have a sincere heart, to draw near to God, one of the ways that you draw near to God is verse 25, is you meet together. It helps you draw near to God. One of the metaphors that God uses for his church is the bride. The bride of Christ, it's the God, the church is the, the, the object of God's affection, right? So the writer is saying, if you want to draw near to God with a sincere heart, meet together with his bride. If you looked at me and said, you know, Jeff, I really want to become friends. I want to, let's get involved in each other's life. Let's push each other spiritually. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's have a real deep friendship. We could start by just meeting together, but eventually... If you really wanted to know me and really wanted to understand me, you would have to know and understand Heidi. She is the rest of me. We are one thing. It's not me and her, it's us. So the writer, that's the illusion here. He's like, if you have a sincere heart and you wanna grow spiritually, you got to meet together. You, you can't know the groom and not know the bride because you won't know the groom. The, the rest of Jesus, so to say, the other part of him 
is his church. It's not organized religion. The body of Christ, the family of Christ, the bride of Christ is the church. So in verse 22, the context is if you have a sincere heart and you want to draw near to God, then that's why you don't give up meeting together. Because the people of God are a part of the heart of God. It's all interconnected. He goes on, he says, listen, if you have a, ha- a heart sprinkled to, to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed in pure water, in other words, we're forgiven and cleansed of our sins, he says this, if that's you, then let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He says, if you have a sincere heart and you want to draw near to God, well, then we want to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, that the faith that you have, we, we hold to that unswervingly, we anchor that, that's the foundations of our life. Then you go to verse 25, meeting together reinforces that. My guess would be that for the vast majority of us, 99%, the only meeting that you have in your week that reinforces your faith and empowers your faith is when you gather with the church. You're not going to have that meeting at work. You're going to go to work and you're going to talk about numbers and goals and tasks and projects. You're not going to talk about your faith. You go, to, you go to school on campus, you go to that professor's class, they're not going to reinforce your faith. They're going to question it and challenge it and try to erode it. You go to high school, junior high, that same thing is going to happen. There, there's nowhere else in our culture, there's nowhere else in the media or in the thought directors of our culture where you're going to run into a group of people or come to a meeting where your faith that you profess is reinforced and energized and expanded. The only place that you're going to run into that is at church. So the writer says, so don't give up meeting together. If you, if you want to hold unswervingly, you've got to go there where you go to church and there's a counterpoint, right? There's all these worldviews, they're never challenged. The only place that they're challenged is church, where somebody would look and say, actually, there's a different way to look at relationships. Did you know that? By the way, there's a different way to look at conflict. Did you know that? Oh, just, just on, the, on the B side, there's a different way to approach someone who's hurt you. Did you know that? You're not going to find that any place except at the gathering of the people of God. So the writer says, hold to that. And then he says this, and he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may do that. There's not another meeting in, in most of our lives where we're going to sit down and say, okay, here's the agenda. The agenda for the meeting is how, let's think together about how to love Christ more and how to serve the people around us more sacrificially. that doesn't show up in the the weekly staff meeting at work. That doesn't show up on campus. It doesn't show up anywhere in our lives except when the people of God gather. So the writer says, if you have a sincere heart and you want to know God, then then don't give up meeting together. See? If you have a, a... a deep faith that you want to have reinforced and expanded and energized, well, then meet together. If you want to consider how to be a, a 
better Christ follower, a, a more passionate follower of Jesus and lover of people, then you should meet together. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and do, the, uh, do this uh, more, all the more as you see the day approaching. This is fascinating. As you see culture eroding, as you see the culture we live in moving further and further away from the directives and the heart and the mind of Jesus, the writer would say what you should do is meet together more. Because you're going to need that. You're not going to run into the golden rule in the middle of culture anymore. You're not, not going to run into the Ten Commandments in the middle of culture anymore. You're not going to run into basic biblical morality in, in, the, in culture anymore. So as you see that going away more and more, then encourage each other more and more, meet together more and more. Right? Not to isolate ourselves from the culture but to have our faith and our love and our understanding of the heart of God reinforced more and more. Don't give up the meeting of yourselves with each other. It's different when we're together, see? Worship is different, prayer is different. Sharing with each other is different. When I know you and I know that you love me and you're gonna keep my confidences but also speak biblical truth and wisdom into my life, I'm going to share a different part of my heart with you. Truth is clarified and sharpened when we're together. When, when I come in and, and somebody told me I should believe in myself and live my best life now and have my dreams and hit my sales goals, and that's all from the Bible, and suddenly I share that with people around me and they may say, you know what, that's actually not in there at all. Truth is sharpened. It's clarified. Worldviews are sharpened and clarified. Opinions are sharpened and clarified. When we meet together, it's the gathering that, that God says, I, I want my people, you've got to do this. Don't give that up, as some are in the habit of doing, okay? Now, let me kind of step out here and, and go on a side path here for a little bit. When the Bible talks about gathering, it is talking about gathering physically, relationally with human beings, okay? So, it is not talking about watching services online every week. So, watching services online every week is a great supplement. It is not a substitute for gathering. Now, if you watch online and you're gathered, you're gathered in your dorm room, you're gathered on your military base like some of you are, you're gathered at, at a gym, you're gathered at, in somebody's home in Connecticut. Like I, I know about all these gatherings. That's, that's, that is what the Bible's talking about. You're, you're getting a teaching and I'm gathered into a community with other people and then that community is speaking and loving and encouraging and doing all the things that's supposed to be. That is great and that is what the Bible's talked about. If I'm just watching on my phone or my laptop, and that is the extent of my involvement in the church, that is not what the Bible is talking about, okay? It's, it's one thing when the kids are sick, or you're on vacation, or that kind of stuff, and, and you kind of stay in touch by watching things online. That's all fine and, and great. It's not a sin to miss church once in a while. That's not at all what the Bible's talking about. But when I look and say, 
I just watch online, and I've been doing that for two months. That is, the Bible would say, no, you need to gather. It's not just the conveyance of information. It's the relationship. It's the being looked in the eye. It's the lobby. It's the life groups. It's all those connections, okay? So online stuff is great. Thousands of us watch online every week. It's great. It's a great supplement when I'm out of town or whatever, but it is not the same as gathering, okay? There's gotta be a group. And it can be, a, it can be five people in your dorm room, it can be 30 people at the gym, it can be whatever it is, but there's gotta be a group and we've gotta be tied into each other's lives for that to represent the heart of what the writers are talking about, okay? Jesus would, uh, would look into that and say, that's my church, that's my household. That's the called out ones. That's the gathering or the assembly is what the Bible will actually use that word a lot. That's what I mean by that, that my people get together, okay? So the Bible says that when I receive Christ, I receive salvation, I receive the Holy Spirit, I'm grafted into the church. And then the Bible takes it kind of another step further and says this, that when I do all that, I receive a spiritual gift, and this is, a, this is an important thing to remember when I come to church, that I'm given a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift is given to me in order to be given to the church. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says it this way, he says, for each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ... Though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace uh, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouragement, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul says we are one body and we belong to each other. Even though we're many parts, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Just like my pinky belongs to my big toe. They're connected, right? Now I'm going to understand what's happening to both of them. They belong to each other. Paul says that's what the church is. That it's not my individual relationship with Christ. When I accept Christ, that shifts. And I also have a corporate identity as a member of the body, as the bride of Christ, as a member of the family of God. And I'm given spiritual gifts, something that God supernaturally gives to me. It could be encouragement, it could be serving, it could be leadership, it could be giving, all that stuff that's on that list right there. Now here's what happens. If I am grafted into the body and I'm given a spiritual gift and that gift belongs to the church, it doesn't belong to me, How do I exercise the gift when I'm never there? Who do I encourage when I'm, if I'm not around the body? Who do I lead when I'm not around the body? When when I'm here every five or six weeks, I don't even know anybody to lead anybody. Who do I generously invest my life into when I don't have the relationships, these are with other Christ followers, with the body of Christ. 
I cannot give my gifts or use my gifts or exercise my gifts when I'm not around the people that they are to be given to, see. I have to be with you consistently to serve you correctly. We have to be in relationships for me to give away what God has given to me. What happens is this, guys, is we're independent people as North Americans, right? It's, It's no big deal. It's just the way that we're wired. But what can happen is this. My independence and my craving of independence and I need to be independent and that's kind of the American way, right? My independence can very easily turn into my absence, see? And when I'm absent, I do not have the depth of relationship. Now, I'm the same way. I'm a very independent person. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about what you want done. I'm thinking about what I want done. I have to remember I'm married and have children sometimes because I, I have a to-do list. And I want to get that to-do list done. And I woke up and that's the thing that I'm going to accomplish today and how I'm going to invest my life today. And in my independence, even as I'm accomplishing all the things that I want to accomplish, if I'm not careful, I can be absent from my relationships. What's dad doing? Where is he? Right? I'm not sitting around wasting my time. I'm just not investing it in you. You translate that into the church, that can be what happened. Where are they? Do they still go here? I haven't seen them forever, four, five, six weeks at a time. And when I am absent from relationships, I have no way to exercise or give the gifts that God has been, that gave, God gave me to give to you. I forget that I belong to the body, that my life is not mine before the Lord, and it's actually not mine before the church anymore, the spiritual entity of the church. But who I am belongs to the other members that I'm around. And when we get into these rhythms where we're not around for stretches, we don't gather, all of that stuff breaks down and it affects us spiritually and it affects the people around us. When I was thinking about this and thinking about like the, just the consistency of our, of our lives being tied to each other, I think the part of this that is, probably hits me the hardest and that I'm most passionate about is when it comes to our kids. When it comes to our children and youth, you know that Grace has a deep passion and commitment to children and youth. We'll kind of do anything to connect with them, right? And so many of our resources go to connecting with children and youth. And what happens is this, is when we're not around, we don't help our kids build relationships and we don't put them in environments where they can be taught and trained. Paul said something interesting to Timothy uh, when, he, when he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said, he's writing to Timothy, he says, if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. He just writes to Timothy, he's like, hey, hey, bro, if I get hung up, you know what ought to happen. People ought to tie in to God's household, 
the church of the living God, that's God's household. And in God's household, what people will embrace and experience through being a part of it is they will find that there is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is the place where truth is taught, where truth becomes a pillar in our life it becomes a foundation of our lives. Your children will not run into truth anywhere else except the church. Nowhere else in culture are people gonna stop and say, I wanna make sure that you understand the heart and mind of God. Nowhere else in the culture are people gonna stop and say, I wanna make sure you have a Christian worldview. I wanna make sure that you understand what the Bible says about morality, about relationships, about money, about God himself. I really wanna invest these pillars and these foundations within you. Nowhere else in the culture are your kids gonna run into anybody teaching them God's word in an organized fashion, right? They are not gonna have that anywhere and they're not gonna know how to interact with God or know the truth of what God says. That only happens through the church, the church of the living God, the household of God. It is the place where that stuff is proclaimed. Now guys, let me say this to you, right? I love you and I'm asking you to trust me right now. You would never, you would never send your kids to school once a week, one out of every five. You would never do it. You would never look at the football coach and say, my son will be at practice once a week, one out of every five. You would never do it. You would never look at the dance teacher or the band director. You would never look at them and say, my kid, if I'm not tired and we're not busy and there's nothing going on, my kid will make the game. You would never do that. If your child showed some ability in something, an academic ability or ability in sports and music, something like that, you would find the money to get them to a camp. You, you, would, you would somehow do that. If somebody looked at you and said, I see something amazing in your kid and you should invest in that, you would, you'd sell plasma to make sure that that investment was built into them. You would make that happen. You would never look at a teacher or a coach or a director and say, we'll get there if we can get there. The weather was bad, the game's on, we're really tired, we'll see if we can make it or not. You would never do that. Now listen, trust my heart, I love you. Your children will be annihilated in college if they do not have a foundation of truth. They will be annihilated in life. When their marriage is on the rocks and they find out that their husband has a secret sin and they're not sure what to do, they're not gonna go kick a soccer ball around. The training that they need, the foundation that they need, the hope that they need is spiritual. And when it is neglected, when, when your kids don't even really know how to use the Bible or even know how to stand up against a false teaching or even recognize it, you, you would never send your child to college and sign them up for an advanced calculus class 
knowing that they only went to math one day a week all through high school, one out of every five. You would recognize that they'd be completely unprepared for that phase of their life. Guys, listen, the training that your kids need is here. It's here. It's available for them. The loving adults. One of the things I am so grateful for is that Heidi and I's children are surrounded by loving adults that love them, that believe in them, that pray for them, that reinforce our values in them. They're surrounded by friends who are passionate about the same things, who also want to see people come to know Christ, also care about the things of God. I am so grateful for those networks. The reason they have those networks is because they grew up together. Because those families are together all the time. Because we gathered consistently. It's where those relationships come from. There are hundreds of loving adults who give tens of thousands of hours just to disciple and invest in your kids. And if they're never around, it's all missed. It's not there. The training is here. The relationships are here. Our, our youth pastors, our youth pastors have higher degrees than most high school teachers do. Our youth pastors have a minimum of a master's degree. And they have looked and said, I am this highly educated, highly professional person, and what I want to do is give my life to training teenagers, training children, so that they have the foundations, the pillars of truth in their life. It's all right here. And let me tell you, the training's here, the relationship's here, the experts are here. What's missing, and I love you with everything in me, but what's missing often is the commitment to pa of parents to getting their kids here. You would never answer the football coach that way. You would never answer the science teacher that way. You would stay up halfway through the night writing that paper with your kid. You would never blow it off. And your kids are not going to be equipped, especially in a culture that moves further and further and further away from the truths in the heart and mind of Christ. That's why God says you've got to gather, be with each other, train one another, have other adults reinforce what you say have other relationships, friendships, all of it is here. But you have to be here. You have to be here. Your kids have to be here. It has to be a priority in your family's life as well. I think the last part of this that really is on my heart is, is my heart for you. My heart for you. So kind of say my heart for adults, right? You ever notice how, how you can talk yourself into being in shape? Or maybe this is just me, right? So I look at myself. I'm an attractive man. I understand that. And so I, I look at myself, and I, I look at myself. I never see myself as out of shape, right? Because I compare myself to everybody else around me. So I go to the doctor. He runs my blood. He's like, your cholesterol is good. You won't die for another, you know, 
four or five years. And so like, you're good, your blood pressure's fine, and they'll put you on the scale of like your weight, and like you just don't wanna get over this certain BMI, because over this BMI, you're like obese, but I'm just like right under it, I'm like, oh sweet made the cut, right? And so I think of myself as in shape. The only time that, and I go out and work in the yard or play basketball and sweat a little bit, but the heart comes down. I'm like, I'm, I'm a relatively healthy person. The only time that I really notice that I'm not in that good of shape is when I'm with somebody who's in good shape. So Heidi and I are coming home from our vacation. Our flight got delayed and we had to run, literally run to get to our other flight in this big airport. We had to run almost a mile through this airport. I had flip-flops on and we had a backpack on, right? And so we're like running through this airport. I get about, I don't know, 20 feet into this run. I'm huffing and puffing and Heidi's just pulling away from me. By the way, she basically left me to die. Right, she just went out there. I can't hardly see her. I'm looking for defibrillators and taking those shortcuts wherever I go, right? But we're trying to make this flight. We made the flight. I get on the flight, I sit beside her. I'm coughing, I'm breathing hard, I'm sweating. Heidi's having like a latte and a protein bar or something like that, right? And I sit down and I'm like, wow, I'm really out of shape. The only time I think of myself as out of shape is when I'm with somebody who's really in shape. And then I'm like, oh, that's the reality of my situation. Part of the reason that we gather is because it causes us to be aware of the reality of our spiritual journey. It's fascinating what Proverbs says. The writer says this. He says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When I don't gather, what starts to define my life is whatever I want to define my life. Because nobody pushes against it. If I set goals and financial goals and career goals and all that kind of stuff, in every other aspect of my life, people are going to applaud that and, and feed into it. But when I gather with the body, somebody might look at me and say, mm, I don't know, Jeff, if you take that big promotion, how will that affect your family? How will that affect your marriage? How will that affect how you disciple and invest in other people? How, have you even considered the spiritual side of it? When I isolate myself, I feel like I'm pretty in good shape, but all of a sudden when I'm in an environment where people are strong spiritually, it causes me to, to have a different push into my life that I wouldn't otherwise have. He pursues on desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. This is what happens. When we isolate ourselves spiritually, what we will do is we will only key in on the parts of scriptures that agree with our worldview. All things work together for the good of me. So God's gonna make my business deal go well. That's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, the Bible might say God loves you enough to crash your business. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So I can run the marathon. That's not at all what that means. That means that, that God can do, he can help you be content as you undergo trials. That's what that verse means. But when I isolate myself, I just find the parts of the Bible that I like and I cause it to agree with my life and I break out against sound judgment. That's why your spirituality sounds just like a business coach and not like Jesus. 
It's dangerous. And when I'm only around once in a while, that's never questioned, that's never clarified, that's never dialed in on. Because I don't gather, and so the, the scripture, God would say, you get together. Iron sharpens iron, you get together. You speak truth into us, speak to each other. The Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speak truth into each other. You gather together. You, 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 you encourage each other, you push against each other. Well, my friends at work think I should file for a divorce. Well, that's interesting, because all your friends at church believe that God's the God of the resurrection. You say you gather together. You get together and you do it consistently and you don't give up because it changes the spiritual dynamic of me personally. You gather together because, I, you know, I got a house full of teenagers. They don't always listen to everything that I say, but they'll listen to these other adults in their life sometimes. So you gather together. You have these relationships. You have a, you have a family that builds into each other. God says, don't give that up. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. If I look at church and say, you know what, I'm, this weekend I'm busy. I got so much going on. I, I just don't know anybody there. It's just, I don't know the schedule so much. When we have those kind of conversations with ourselves, we've lost sight of why we gather. You, you don't gather for you. You gather for the body. You, the body doesn't belong to you. You belong to the body. It's not, do I go to church and who said hi to me? It's, do I go to church and who did I include? See? I don't gather to receive, oh, I don't know, Jeff's just not feeding me. The band wasn't that good this week. He wasn't really that funny. He's always sexy, but he's not always funny. I, I, just, I just don't know. You don't get, I'm not here to entertain you. See? I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm not a male model. Here, I do it professionally other places, but I, right? That's not what the church is. The pastor didn't feed me. Come on, you got a Bible, don't you? What are you talking about? We, we gather for the body. Who did you pray with at church today? I don't know anybody. Well, who's the three people you met? Well, the church is so big. Well, how did you shrink it for somebody? See? And it's this weird perspective that we get that comes from our independence. And it leads to the trend that says, you know, it's not that big of a deal if I make it or not. And God would look and say, but that's not at all the way this works. Not at all. And it affects you. It affects you personally. It affects your family. And it affects the body around you. When, when we don't gather on a regular basis, we make a statement. If, if you go to church once every four or five weeks, you take your kids to church once every four or five weeks, they'll go to church once a year when they're adults and your grandkids will never go. That's how the culture is broken down. You make a statement to your kids about what's important. We make a statement to our world. So you believe in Christ, right, right? Yeah. And you'll do anything for him? Right. And he's the center of your life? Right. And you think he's the most important thing in the world? Right. And you never gather with his wife? See, we make a statement. I, I wrote it this way in our notes. I said this, when we're not around each other, 
we minimize what Jesus maximized. We minimize what Jesus maximized. It's not that big of a deal. Boy, it is a big deal of Christ. Well, it's just church. I watch it online. Andy Stanley's better anyways, which is true. But you don't know him. He doesn't know you. And great supplement, not a gathering. See, I even say to you guys watching online, I know that, I know that you watch in other states, actually all over the world, and thank you, and that's wonderful, but you need a local gathering. And if you don't have a local church in your state or your country or the military base that you're on, then get some other believers together, watch the sermon and discuss it and process it. Right? But gather, gather. Because there's a spiritual dynamic. Christ is with us in a different way when we're with each other. Jesus lived, died, and rose again because he loves you. Jesus lived, died, and rose again to forgive us of our sin. Jesus lived, died, rose again, left, and gave us the Holy Spirit so it would be better with the Holy Spirit. Ready? Jesus lived, died, and rose again to birth the church. And the church, the body, the bride, the family, the household, we are the ambassadors of Christ as if Jesus himself were speaking through us. It's a big deal. And it affects us in big ways. In Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. See, make it happen. So I don't know where this hits you, right? I'm sure there's some, some different ways. Some of you are here every week and, and you're in life group and you serve and there's, you couldn't do more. And so I hope that this conversation is encouraging to you and, and what you should do with it is you should like be a witness about it. You should look at your friends and say, you know what? It does make a difference and it is important. I'm so glad that we do it, right? Because it's just a normal part of your life and, and this is not a, a struggle for you and that's awesome. So, so tell that story to people and be encouraged by it. Some of you are like deciding that. And you're like, you know, Jeff, I, I decided this three weeks ago I'm getting in the groove. And so for that, that's like diving in. So that's the volunteer and discovery group and that kind of stuff. Like you just take those extra steps and dive into it and kind of get your head around all that is, that is grace. For some of us, we need to get in this groove. And we need to come off of, out from being online by ourselves. Or we need to get back into our community groups that are gathered to watch things or back here into the, the physical building on Jet Road or, or Mantras or wherever. And we need to lock that in, right? And for you guys, what I want to do is I, I want to I dare you to do something. I want to do this for all of us. I, I want to put a dare out. I want to put a double dog dare. I'll put a triple dog dare with a sushi bet, right, out there. So I want to dare you to do something. I want to dare you to do this, Ready? I dare you to invert this curve. So the average person goes to church once a month and misses 40 weekends a year. I dare you to go to church 40 weekends a year and try to only miss once a month. Right? Now hear me. It is not a sin to miss church. Don't... if. If you know me, if you don't know me, I am not a guilt trip guy. Do what you want to do. I'm not trying to guilt trip you, and I want you to hear me. It is not a sin to miss church. 
but it can become a really bad habit. So what if you inverted it? and said our goal is only to, to miss no more than once a month and to be there the 40 weeks. And let me, I'll make a promise to you. If this doesn't come true for you, I'll let you buy me sushi. That's the core of my favorite place. But, but if you, this is the deal. I promise you that in, in, if you do that for 40 weeks, your spiritual life will change dramatically. It will alter your relationship with God. It will alter your relationship with your family. It will alter your relationship with the other parts of the body of Christ. It makes a massive difference when you gather, right? It will alter your kids' relationships. Part of the reason why your kids are afraid to go to youth group is because they're never there. I love you. I'm just being straight. Part of the reason that they're afraid to go in their Sunday school class is because they don't know their teacher. They're never there. It will make a difference for them and for you, and you will grow spiritually. It'll be, it'll be mind-boggling how God will start to energize you, and all of that dynamic will shift. So I triple-dog dare you with a sushi bet. Just flip the curve, and, and it takes a year, right? So it's not something you can do quick. But just look and say, we're going to be the other family. And if you want to get, really get crazy, come on the weekends and go to a life group too. And if you want to get really insane and have people think that you joined a cult, then come on the weekends and go to a life group and serve somewhere. And, and it will deeply alter your relationship with God because God created Christianity to be a team sport. He created us to be in relationships with each other. Okay? All right. Let me pray for us, and the band will come out and give us a couple minutes and, and spend some time. Let the Holy Spirit work, right? So this may be an encouragement to you. This may be a, a, rein, a reinforcement of what's already been going on, or maybe it's a pretty strong challenge. I don't know. God does. But let the Holy Spirit lead you to, to wherever he wants you to be, okay? Jesus, love you. Thanks for loving us, for giving us to each other. And Jesus, wherever we're at in this conversation, as parents, as roommates, as friends, as, as folks, God, lead us to your heart and to your mind. Lord, some are so in the groove and so encourage them and help them to encourage others. Some of us need to take kind of that first step of breaking through and so motivate us. And then some of us just need to be convicted. So do that too. But all of it, God, in your love for us and your desire to give us the best of yourself, let us see your heart and your passion for us. Do that even in these still moments, Jesus, in your name.